What's up, everybody? Welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt, and if you like the show, you can help out by clicking the like or subscribe button. You can also help out by donating using the Patreon link in the description below. So I'm excited to be back, and I'm actually very happy to welcome Michael McGuire from WX Capital again. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and me as well, because uh, it's a pretty cool company that we're going to talk about today. It's a biotech called Crystal Biotech, ticker symbol KRYS, and they have a very cool gene therapy platform that, you know, I looked into a little bit, but I think you've released a, a really nice report getting into a lot of the details of the company. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to talk about that, and also, you know, last time we had a discussion, it was on Marathi, and since we last spoke and I did a video kind of follow up to that as well so everybody should be kind of familiar who's watched the channel but uh, we saw some data and the data actually looked pretty good I think the mm -hmm. overall response rate or objective response rate sorry mm -hmm. was 45 uh, percent for non-small cell lung cancer um, so pretty good the stock rose quite a bit but then uh, they did an offering and I think after close today the stock did pretty well do you have any uh, thoughts on that uh, no, I think that's a pretty good summary. I would just say that I think it's, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite companies out there for all the reasons that we discussed before, but also just seeing the data come out and, and seeing such convincing results. I think that it positions Marathi really well uh, up against Amgen. And, you know, it's uh, definitely, so they beat out Amgen a little bit in terms of colorectal cancer data not as good as NSCLC, uh, but also a little bit better than Amgen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, this is very positive data and I'm, I'm very curious to see, especially the combination data as it comes out. So that's something mm -hmm. that I'm really going to be looking for in the future. Yeah. And I, uh, I have to look back at their presentation to see when the next catalysts are. Um, I was kind of surprised that they raised money given that they had such a huge amount of cash beforehand. So that kind of took me from a surprise, but you know, the fact that the stock rallied after that kind of makes me think that investors are pretty excited that they're going to have this huge bank of cash to really take this all the way to the finish line. Exactly. And that's really encouraging for a smaller company like Marathi. Of course, you always think about the commercialization efforts and whether a small company can mount that. But based on how Marathi has conducted themselves so far and based on the amount of cash that they have on hand, it seems that even if they don't partner with a larger company or get acquired, that they, they might be able to get this off the ground and really make a strong commercialization push. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking too. But anyway, let's not get too much into uh, Marathi because we got a lot to talk about with Crystal Biotech. So, you know, from my understanding, they have a they have a cool, different kind of gene therapy platform. It's the HSV1 virus that they're using instead of the typical kind of AAV thing. But can you give us a little bit of background on Crystal? Sure. So Crystal, as you mentioned, mainly a gene therapy company, and they are focused on rare diseases, as many gene therapy companies are. And so what really stuck out uh, to us in particular was just how unique this company was, both in terms of the spaces that they're pursuing, but also just in terms of gene therapy as a whole. And so there are a couple of different unique elements here. So you alluded to it. It's the, the HSV-1 viral vector. So that's herpes simplex virus for those who don't recognize that acronym. Um, and it's slightly different from a lot of gene therapies because the, the trend recently has been to use AAV vectors. These are kind of, these have become kind of the gold standard in a way um, 
for delivering gene therapy and you see it for things like Zolgensma, you see it in the uh, DMD space with uh, companies like Sarepta. So having this HSV vector is, is particularly interesting. Um, and then the, the second part is that this is an off the shelf therapy. Mm. So uh, just a little bit of background around what that means exactly. There are two different ways that you can approach gene therapies and cell therapies as well, which is you can have what's called the autologous approach, um, which means that you're actually taking a specific patient's cells out, for example, and then changing those cells in some way or delivering a, a specific gene therapy and then putting them back in, which of course requires quite a bit of uh, you know, labor intensive production. It's a, a, a lot more uh, cost burdensome, takes longer time. And so this gene therapy is kind of a, a ready to serve off the shelf gene therapy uh, that can be applied to pretty much every patient. And then the third thing is that it's topical, which is mm. not something that you would normally associate with gene therapy. Oftentimes people think of this as like an injection, for example, mm -hmm. uh, but this, this is essentially formulated into a gel. And so it can be delivered very easily and very quickly in the outpatient setting, which uh, should go a long way for patient convenience. Right, and and that's actually one of the coolest parts, I guess, is, is this whole novel platform, because yeah, we really associate gene therapy with this, like it's an infusion or something, it's really burdensome, and especially, yeah, the autologous version, it's like multiple visits to the doctor and they have to go through all this process. Um, and then the other thing, they're targeting rare diseases, and you know, maybe before we get into the indications, you know, the rare disease bull case has always been difficult for me because I think like on the one hand, it's kind of validating for the platform. So even though it's not a huge patient population, if they can find some success, it might be easier for them to move into sort of bigger populations. But, you know, because it's such a time consuming thing to go through all these trials, um, is there something else related to the bull case that I'm missing when it comes to say rare disease focus, which this company's pretty much looking at right now, at least for the short term? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think that it, so there, there are a couple of advantages and advantages for this particular case as well is that the rare diseases they're, that they're going after and the, um, the method of administration and the time for the clinical trial is actually much shorter. Mm. And so a problem for a lot of rare diseases, something like, um, you know, uh, DMD, for example, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, or these other rare diseases that require, you know, long-term gene therapy uh, treatment and figuring out when that gene therapy's efficacy is going, how long it's going to last for, those trials oftentimes take a really long time. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the case of Crystal, these trials really only take about a year because they're mainly focusing on wound closure in this case. Right. And so you can you can track wound closure. It's it's visible by the eye. There are very clear defined metrics there. Um, pretty good understanding of what represents a significant result. And so this bodes really well. And this is an advantage uh, for Crystal and the rare diseases they're looking at versus other rare diseases. So right. did want to just mention that that part. Uh, the other part with rare diseases that we'll we'll get into a little bit more later is just around pricing and. Mm one of the main advantages the kind of canonical advantages that people think about regarding rare diseases is that it allows you to charge a very high price for your drug right so you can potentially have a, a pretty high profit margin and not be treating very many patients 
we've seen a little bit of pushback in the gene therapy space from the FDA, and there are some questions around how these uh, gene therapies are being priced and how does, uh, how drugs for rare diseases in general are being priced. But that is a, a key factor that really separates rare diseases from most other indications. Right. Okay. That that makes a lot of sense. And uh, so maybe we should talk more about the diseases that they're targeting. And I'm going to read this disease out and I might mess it up, but dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa, I think is the main one. That's the one that we're expecting a readout in uh, phase three next year. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. And very nice pronunciation, actually. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> Thanks. So, you know, I'll, I'll get into what I understand about it. And if there's anything I'm missing, correct me. But it's a problem of, of collagen. And there's a very fragile tissue where the epidermis doesn't really connect well to the dermis. So what Crystal wants to do is reintegrate that gene into these cells so that they express uh, collagen 7 normally and then can hopefully prevent that blistering from happening. Um, is that about accurate? Yeah, that's right on. It's um, the, the, the lack of that collagen causes the epidermis to detach from the dermis. And so these patients, they, they can vary based on severity, and we can talk a little bit more about that, but these patients have very fragile skin. Mm -hmm. And so the more severe patients will have constant open wounds and blisters that require wrapping of the body and require very um, close attention from a variety of different specialists, not only specialists like infectious disease specialists to make sure that uh, they're not, those wounds are not getting infected, but they also require specific nutritional programs. And so overall the, um, the burden of disease and the, uh, you know, the cost of treatment and the burden of treatment are quite high for these patients. Right. And so I think I saw in the investor portfolio or something like 200,000 to 400,000 annually. Uh, which is pretty significant and i guess you know is crystal going to try and price in that area could they garner kind of a, a better pricing because it is going to be less of an intensive process for the patient um, mm -hmm. in terms of like how many patients are out there i think when i did the math it's maybe around 5300 patients in the usa but i think they are trying to seek approval in the us and uh, eu so there might be more patients there but um, do you think that's an accurate representation of how many patients are out there yeah, so this is a really important part of rare diseases, and I'm glad you brought it up because with rare diseases, because these patient populations are so small, any variation in the estimated patient size can really impact the the earnings potential of uh, these patients. So, mm -hmm. or excuse me, of the of the company. Yeah. So what that means is that uh, when you're looking at the epidemiology, then you really have to determine what are the best sources mm -hmm. and feel really confident in those sources if you're going to estimate the patient population. Right. So what, what we found is we took a look through a couple of different sources and we also looked at a few analyst reports to figure out what sources they were referencing. And we actually went with a source that estimated a, a smaller patient population. So this was a JAMA dermatology report back in 2016 that seemed to have a pretty robust uh, methodology and they it was a, a multi-year process and they were very well integrated with the uh, various rare disease societies mm. uh, that were logging 
patients and um, you know uh, estimating those numbers. And so based on that, we we went a little bit more conservative and estimated around a thousand or so patients in the U.S. based on that report. Okay, so that's a yeah. big deal. That's eighty uh, mm-hmm. percent fewer patients than what Crystal is is kind of assessing there. Um, exactly. And with, with this kind of thing, it's always interesting because we need to sort of have an idea of when that reality is going to be realized. So when thinking about going long or short, it's like, is, are we going to have to wait until it's approved and we finally start to see those earnings numbers come in before it makes sense to actually uh, short or like anticipate that? Right. Um, but still, just knowing that right off the bat at least gives us an idea on whether or not it's worth it to go long, say, for the for the phase three mm-hmm. trial. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so that's pretty important. You know, do does it make sense to talk about the the other indications? I feel like their phase three is probably the biggest mover for the stock coming in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I think the other one that we took a look at and we included in our model of uh, Crystal Biotech is ARCI. So that stands for autosomal recessive congenital ichthyosis. Okay. Uh, another hard to pronounce uh, dermatologic <laughs> rare disease indication. Right. Um, they're using a similar platform and because there's a lot of overlap with this disease and uh, DEB, the disease we discussed previously, mm-hmm. uh, this one is not quite as severe, but it does, it, it impacts the uh, epidermis and the ability to basically form tight uh, epidermal layer. And so that can cause scaling of the skin. It can also cause uh, water loss and dehydration because the skin isn't able to keep in um, all of the water necessary. It's it's not quite as severe uh, for DEB uh, as DEB, but it does cause significant loss in quality of life and it is potentially fatal for neonates. So that's the other one that uh, they expect to have a phase two readout coming up in 2021 as well. So we decided to include that in our estimation. Um, and, and then also just wanted to mention the cystic fibrosis therapy that they're developing. And so uh, this one we did not include because it's still pretty early stage, but an, another interesting approach in that they are um, creating an inhalable version of a gene therapy. So mm-hmm. a lot of interesting uh, routes of administration delivery methods uh, from Crystal. Yeah, I noticed that too, the inhaled method, which, you know, if it works, that'll be that'll be really helpful, I think, to, to patients. But yeah, that one I didn't think was worth looking into just because it was kind of early. One that I did that did catch my eye was their KB301 for wrinkles and acne. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you looked at it too much, but I kind of wondered if, you know, if they can garner a product similar to like Allergan's Botox that hit like $3 billion in revenue. And obviously this is this is still preclinical. I think they're, they might have some safety data coming out at the end of the year for that. But if that is successful, that could be a huge product for the company. But because it's so early, I don't even think it's worth considering it to have much value for today's market cap. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That was that was our take as well, but certainly something that could be really promising in the future. As you mentioned, the Botox, I think every company that's creating these sort of uh, acne and wrinkle based products have Botox in their mind and are hoping to become that, that, you know, the next Botox. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) it's possible. Uh, It's a crowded space for sure. You never know, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I think the, the other important consideration, you know, when we think about investing in companies, we look at the patient population. The other thing is pricing. 
And mm-hmm. that's one that I probably struggle with the most when coming up with yeah. a model because it just seems like there's so many considerations involved. It's really tough to get an accurate prediction. But the the company did cite, at least for the DEB treatment, you know, up to $400,000 annually for patients. So, mm-hmm. you know, in, in your model, did you think that was a reasonable price point for, for patients? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pricing is always tricky, especially when it comes to these gene therapies and cell therapies and these really expensive prices because it's always a question of are payers going to find that price worthwhile and will they pay and so we typically have two approaches when we think about pricing one is finding an analog drug Hmm. uh, and figuring out you know what is the general price there and and can we translate that price in some way to the price of something like crystal's drug the other is just to understand the cost offset of what is the current treatment and to what extent right. is using this drug reducing the overall cost? As you alluded to, uh, anywhere from two hundred to $400,000 per patient per year uh, just to manage this disease. And it doesn't actually treat the disease. It's, right. it's really palliative and it's only, uh, you know, it's only trying to treat some of the, the symptoms and some of the effects of the disease. So in our model, we ended up going with a $300,000 price tag, and that really just fits kind of squarely in between $200,000 and $400,000, that range that was cited for um, you know, the cost of, of care for these patients currently. There, there are questions in, in my mind about whether it can reach that price. And so a, a couple of reasons being First of all, is that it's not a curative therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it still, it heals wounds. It heals wounds that are created um, you know, by this disruption in the dermis and epidermis. But it doesn't necessarily heal the patient and prevent them from getting wounds in the future. So it is kind of an acute treatment. And those treatments, you know, maybe there may be pushback um, from payers who, who say, well, we're going to be paying this $300,000 in perpetuity, mm-hmm. um, and this isn't really addressing the, the core underlying disease in a way that some of these other gene therapies like Zolgensma profess yeah. to do. Uh, so that's one, that's one question in my mind. Another is that, are these patients actually going to, to, to what extent are their costs of management really going to drop with this therapy? So are they still going to have to see these specialists? Um, you know, are they still going to have some level of prophylactic management? They're still gonna need those nutritionists. They're still going to be uh, you know, exposed to infections. And so whether the, the therapy can actually offset all of those costs, I think remains to be seen in my mind and could mm-hmm. potentially cause some downward pricing pressure. Yeah, I think that is the the trickiest part of everything you said is the fact that, you know, how many times they're going to need this treatment and then are they going to try and do some kind of, I don't know, I think Bluebird has tried this or maybe it was some other gene therapy company where if it works, then then you pay the full price. But if it doesn't, then they'll, they'll you can re- get refunded the money. So, right. you know, depending how creative they get with it maybe they could garner that price or at least like that spread out over some time. So, mm-hmm. but you know, for, for a model's sake, I think it makes sense to go kind of in the middle like that and, and see what mm-hmm. you get. But so mm-hmm. if I do the math, 300,000 for the 5,300 patients, we're looking at a max sales of around 1.6 billion with only a thousand patients that drops down significantly, obviously. Right. And right. I didn't mention this to begin, but the stock's trading at around a $1 billion market cap today. 
and I think mm -hmm. I saw that their current assets are around $300 million, so with a cash burn of only around $7 million per quarter, which mm -hmm. is kind of interesting how cheap it's able to get these trials, and yeah. <laughs> makes me question their productivity a bit, but you know, if they can continue to pump out data, then fine, but yeah. they have a pretty decent cash runway. And um, they are trading at a billion dollars. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, what are you kind of recommending to investors? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it, so it does. It goes back to this question of where you put the epidemiology. And so based on our epidemiology, we're actually projecting a price of around twenty five dollars. And that, of course, will, will swing drastically uh, depending on the epidemiology that you set. Um, and, and, and one other point that I did want to make around the epidemiology while we're on this topic is the severity of the disease and which patients will actually receive this drug. And right. so that, that's another part that we factored into the equation that also caused us to, to bump things down a little bit, which is these patients can roughly be segmented into mild, moderate and severe categories. There are uh, various different factors that influence that. So. There are two types of uh, DEB. One is dominant and one is recessive. And mm -hmm. uh, contrary to how the, the names sound, the dominant version is actually the, the milder version. Mm -hmm. And the recessive version um, is the more severe version. And that's because for the recessive version, they have two right. uh, mutated copies of the collagen gene. Mm -hmm. So when factoring that, we took a 25% cut for those mild patients because we didn't expect these uh, these patients to, to potentially receive a gene therapy that's mm -hmm. so expensive. Um, so, so that's one other part. And then the final point I wanted to mention is that there is competition in this space. So uh, for DEB, there are a couple of different products in the pipeline right now. Uh, probably the, the most advanced is one called EB101 that is from Abiona Therapeutics. And this is using the more uh, traditional autologous uh, gene therapy, cell therapy approach, which is that these um, the, the therapy will take uh, keratinocytes from the patients. They will use a retroviral vector to put in the collagen, and then they'll essentially use this as a skin graft and grow these keratinocytes hmm. out and patch them on patients. So that is in phase three um it did have pretty promising data overall and so we also wanted to factor in that uh you know that competition cut as well right i uh, i did not come across them in, in my research so i'm glad you brought that up mm -hmm. so in terms of timing wise and and so i'll mention this the the stock's trading a one billion dollar market cap around fifty dollars a share so yeah. about a half of a or half haircut in the in the stock in terms of what that indication could really garner mm -hmm. and so we're not going to see much news i think until the that phase three readout in 2021 is that right yeah that's right that's right but if anything i feel like there's going to be a lot of excitement around that um around that mm -hmm. if it is good data so yeah you know it does make sense that mm -hmm. uh, a potential short opportunity would be on any bump from news from that um, given that, you know, excitement from investors, yeah. just the the idea of a positive readout. So, yeah, you know, the yeah. the other thing I'll say, or maybe I'll, I'll get your opinion on the, the risks mm -hmm. with shorting stock. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. usually tend to stay away from shorting unless mm -hmm. I have a very good sense of, of what I'm doing. But, you know, things like a buyout, stuff like that. Are there any other yeah. kinds of concerns you see with maybe shorting a stock like Crystal? 
Yeah, I think there, there are many different bumps along the road, and that is why shorting, as you mentioned, it's really important to, to really feel confident about it because, for example, if there are more patients um, than what we're expecting, that fluctuation can drastically impact the valuation. So, you know, there, there are multiple sources out there uh, that you can reference as you and I have, have different sources that we're referencing. And, and it's really difficult to actually triangulate what is the quote unquote correct answer. And so, uh, you know, if there are more patients, if they are able to achieve a pricing premium, um, all of these factors are going to negatively impact your, your short, right? So, and, and, and to your point, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this idea up of, you know, the timing of the short, because as you mentioned, with that phase three data coming out in 2021, and considering that the stock is at $45 right now, we wouldn't necessarily see the impact of the lower uh, patient population until much later in the game. And so you might expect that this stock actually has some room to grow in the short term. Would it be a long-term play? In, in our estimation, likely no. And the the short would be more of a longer term short. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I did just want to talk about the, the phase three trial, which is really just an expansion of the phase two trial. And so when we see really good phase two results, and then we you're not really changing any of the endpoints Mm-hmm. You're mainly just expanding that to more patients. We do expect that there's going to be a positive phase three results based on the phase two data. And mm-hmm. so in the short term, would probably expect that this stock can uh, have room to grow. Yeah. yeah. And that's always the critical part of this game is the, the timing, Indeed. right? Um, Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And I guess like I mentioned, or, you know, we're talking about both sides of the company, which makes it kind of fun, is that, you know, if they do manage to find success in some of these other products, um, we could see the value actually start to match what the stock price is. But today, yeah, I, I'm not so sure it, it should garner a $1 billion valuation. But until we start to see their sales force kind of go out there and find these patients, you know, maybe that's when it'll take time for it to actually be realized. Cool. But yeah, so I think that's a, it's great that you were able to kind of articulate sort of the issues that are coming from both sides. Um, you know, is there anything else you wanted to mention about Crystal? I feel like that was ma- the the major points I, I had. I think that sums it up pretty well. I think this was a, a really interesting conversation. It, it's always good to kind of bounce ideas uh, back and forth uh, from two different people who have kind of done their own independent research because, you know, this is something that is really important to highlight. You, you should also do your own research and look into this yourself and really make up your own mind because it's never a clear answer. And, and especially when you're dealing with some of these smaller, you know, potentially high gain, high loss sort of companies, mm-hmm. um, there are a couple of assumptions that have to be made uh, that can vary from one to the other. And so um, I, I feel like having these sort of conversations and really hashing out, you know, how our uh, research uh, both converges and differs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really interesting, and I think ultimately really beneficial for making investing decisions. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, those assumptions, unfortunately, because we have to make them, and those are the unknowns. Those are the things that often make the the biggest difference. But uh, Michael, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, do you want to tell everybody where they can find your stuff? Yes. So again, from WX Capital. So WX Capital. We also have a uh, YouTube channel called WX Capital Team. 
uh, please come check us out. We've got loads of different uh, types of videos, including a demystifying biotech series where we try to break down some of the more complicated uh, issues at hand when it comes to investing in biotech. Yeah, and uh, I've actually learned a lot from your guys' stuff on SPACs. I uh, had no idea about SPACs, but until I started <laughs> watching those videos. So uh, everybody, go go check them out. They do a lot of good work over there. And um, yeah, with that, I'll wrap it up. But thanks again for coming on, Michael, and we'll see everybody next time. All right. Take care, guys.